Canine Cast number 13. It's the Canine Cast with Tara and Walter. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Canine Cast. This is Tara. And hey, it's Walter. Hi. Uh, today, I'd like to start our show off with a little clarification from our last show. Now, in our last show, we were talking about places to find a dog if you're looking for a dog. And I said that the best place to start is at your shelter or rescue, um, which, which, of course, I still believe that. But um, then I said if you are looking for a purebred puppy to go to a reputable breeder, which is also still the case. But what I wanted to kind of point out is that if you are looking for any kind of a purebred dog, you can, of course, look for that at a shelter or a rescue. And there are even breed rescues that will specialize only in particular breeds. Now, if you're looking for a purebred puppy, still check those places out because they may have puppies that will be good for you. Um, Where I was talking about specifically going to a reputable breeder is if you are looking for a specific thing in a purebred puppy, such as, um, for example, if you wanted to get involved in agility with a border collie, was the example that I used last time, then you may want to go find a breeder that their border collies have actually competed in agility and have done well. And these people would then know about agility and would know how to help you pick a puppy that would be good for agility. So that's where you get the expertise and also the dog comes from lines that have kind of been um, bred for that. So if you're wanting if you're wanting to do something special with your dog, um, another example would be if you want to do confirmation. Say you really, really love a breed and you want to be one of these people who continues working for the good of the breed, then what you would want to do is go to a reputable breeder, um, hopefully somebody that you can work with as you are first getting into this. Um, you can show your dog in confirmation, which is basically, that's, that's what you see in dog shows all the time where they take the dog for the walk and the judges pick the dog that is the best example of the breed. That is used for breeding stock. So if you were if you were to want to continue working for the good of the breed and help to produce better members of the breed through breeding yourself, first of well, breeding your dog, um, working yourself with breeding the dog, then what you would want to do is work with a reputable breeder who can show you the ropes, who can help you know, who can do this with you. And again, they will have done this. They will know how to pick a puppy that will be a good match for what you want to do with it. And truthfully, that's that's really, in my opinion, the only way that people should get into breeding. Um, people who just kind of go get a pet and then decide later on that breeding might be a good thing, um, that's really not the way to do it. The way to do it is from the outset. You You really want to look for a puppy that is specifically been bred and raised and so on and so forth to be the best example of the breed um, and then start from there which you know just just a reminder just because you get a puppy that they're expecting it to have all of these great traits doesn't necessarily mean that when it grows up it will it could be you know it could have a problem um, any anyway and, and when I say a problem it could be like it um, it isn't the right height for confirmation or in agility it isn't really quite as as fast and into the game as you wanted and that can happen the same as when people are born. I mean, just because two doctors have a child doesn't mean that that child will grow up to be a doctor. 
Um, kind of the same thing with, with dogs and their puppies. So those are examples for why you would want to go to a reputable breeder to get, uh, to get a great puppy and then work with that dog um, for whatever your goals may be for that dog. Alrighty, so, um, so if you have any questions or comments about that, please write into us and we can come back and revisit it again. But definitely if you're looking for a dog in any capacity whatsoever and we can you know, give you any advice in that area, then you know, I'd be happy to do that. Um, there's no guarantees in the dog world, but the more preparation you do at the outset before you go find your dog, the better um, able you'll probably be to find your perfect match. So, um, all right, to move on, um, we've talked a lot lately about getting dogs. We've talked about getting dogs from rescues and shelters and breeders and how to pick dogs and so on and so forth. So what I wanted to go over today was a little bit about what to do once the dog comes home, um, specifically with, with uh, fixing unruly behavior. Because at some point, no matter, no matter where you got your dog or what the situation was or how wonderful the dog was and well-behaved, at some point probably that dog will do something that you would rather that it did not do. And you know, that could be something just as simple as a, a preference on on your part. So um, basically unruly behavior is one of the biggest reasons why dogs are turned into shelters and rescues. It it may not, you know, they're not a bad dog, they just may not have been taught how to behave in the way that their previous owner wanted them to, which for you may be a good thing because what one pe what one person considers unacceptable behavior is, you know, perfectly fine for somebody else. Or it could just be something that they didn't know how to work on, but, but you do, and you're willing to work on it. So some ways to help correct um, behavior. The most, the most powerful tool that I can recommend for you is actually uh, redirecting behavior. For what, what you're going to want to do is, say your dog is doing a behavior that you don't want, you try to change their change their focus so that they are either doing that same behavior in a way that you do want or that they learn to replace that unwanted behavior with a behavior that you do want for example let's say that your dog is chewing and all all dogs at some point in their life go through this phase where they just need to chew 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 and some of them never grow out of it so what you want to do is, actu is actually teach them to chew the correct things because you're not going to get them to stop chewing. That's just a normal dog behavior. And ask them to stop chewing anything altogether is, um, would be very difficult. So what you want to do is, first of all, watch your dog when, you, when it's first at home or when you've noticed that it's having a behavior problem. You will want to supervise it all the time and anytime that you cannot supervise it, you want to put it in a safe place where it can't get itself into trouble, um, such as with crate training, like we have talked about previously. So let's say that your dog is out with you and you're supervising it because you're trying to train it and you notice it chewing on your table leg. Well, this is not something that you want. So what you can do is actually get, have, make sure that you have handy a toy that you want them to chew on that is acceptable for them to chew on. When you see them chewing on your table leg, then what you can do is you can actually tell them no, do something to distract them from the table leg. And with, mo with most dogs, this could be a little kissy noise from you or a clap or, 
you know, some something and give them instead the toy that you want them to chew on. Once they start chewing on that, then you praise them and tell them how wonderful they are. And this is how they learn that the table leg is not acceptable. The toy is a good thing to chew on. So that way they're doing the same behavior, just in a more appropriate place. And doing it once probably won't totally solve the problem. So continue to watch them. It will probably take a few times, but eventually they'll catch on. Sometimes they surprise you. Sometimes it really does take only once. So that's, that's something that's very exciting, but that's one example. Now, an example where they're doing an unwanted behavior and you totally give them a different behavior altogether would be if you have a dog that likes to jump up on people. And this is, this is very, very common. And with small dogs, people tend to encourage this. Uh, Toby jumps on everybody but me because everybody in the world thinks it's wonderful when he jumps I, on I them. try to stop him when he jumps on me every once in a while. Uh-huh, every once in a while. In, 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 that is so cute. See, that's, that's the thing. It's really bad, though. That's, that's the thing. Well, it's, it's not bad if you don't mind it and other people don't mind it, you know, if it's a little dog. But the but the point the point is the reason why he continues to do this to other people is because he continues to get rewarded, um, which for a small dog is fine if that's okay with you. I you don't, don't you don't know how bad I want him to come in here right now and jump on me. <laughs> We're I, talking about it. Well, I I don't like him doing that because you know if I if I'm dressed up and going somewhere in my you know in my hose and he decides to jump on me then I have to go change my hose because now it has runs. Well, luckily I don't wear a hose usually, so I think we're okay. Yeah, well you are. But in any case, so it becomes it becomes um more difficult to change their behavior if different people do things um in different ways is I guess the point of this. But um with big dogs, it normally is a little bit easier to get them to stop in that most people don't tend to encourage it. Most people, if a big dog comes and tries to jump on them, they run away, um, which, you know, which either the dog isn't going to like because they're not getting their attention or they'll go try to play with them. But in either case, it's not really working in the dog's favor. favor. So what you want to do is think of a behavior that is completely incompatible with the dog jumping up. Okay, so the dog jumps up and its front two feet are in the air. Okay. So if you, if you make a, a behavior where the dog's uh, front feet have to be on the ground, then that's incompatible. They can't simultaneously have their feet in the air and on the ground. So one way to do this is whenever they, whenever they jump, you are going to want to teach them instead to put all four paws on the ground. The command that we use for that is off. And basically that just means that and, you know, all four paws have to be on the ground at any point in time. Instead of off, you can use sit if your dog knows how to sit. And if you're training your dog how to sit, this is a great time to go ahead and train that because your dog cannot be jumping up in the air and have their dog tush on the ground at the same time. So those are, those are two examples of things that you can do where you're actually replacing the unwanted behavior, the jumping, with wanted behavior, either standing on the ground or sitting. And all, and all you do is when they, when they jump up, you do not, you know, you, you do not give them any attention other than to give them the other command. Now they will need to know the other command in order to do it, such as, you know, sit. If you're training your dog to sit, then you will have to, you know, go ahead and do that, or at least start that training before you 
start having them uh, stop jumping on you. But when your dog jumps up, you can tell them to sit. And then when they sit, that is the point at which you go and you pet them and tell them that they're wonderful. And actually, this, this behavior, it may, it may sound like something that would take a lot of repetition and a long time. But interestingly enough, in my puppy class, I do this with my puppies all the time. I will not pet them unless they are, unless they are either sitting or they have all four paws on the ground. And by about, by about the third week of that, they, they know, at least for me, that... Well, that's after three classes, technically. Right, you. right, right. Yeah, after right three three weeks of classes. So they so they've been hopefully working on this at home, but you can you can even tell the ones where they haven't necessarily been working on it at home because they'll still jump on other people. But in that amount of time, they've still learned from me that if they want me specifically to pet them, then they have to be on the ground. And you know, and these are little puppies, so it doesn't it doesn't really take that long. But what it does take is consistency. If you want them to do it for you then you be consistent and they'll do it for you. If you want them to do it for everybody, then you have to have everybody be consistent, which means that you'll probably have to enlist the help of all of your friends and neighbors and strangers on the street and so on and so forth. But all you need to do is, you know, have your dog, have your dog sit or have your dog um, off, all four paws on the ground, and ask the people to pet your dog. Just before that point, explain to them that if the dog does jump up, that you would like them to go away. Um, and then come back when the dog is doing the appropriate behavior. So that's that's some ways to change some unruly behavior. If there are any specific behaviors that you are experiencing, then um, for then I would I would suggest you know think think about ways to make your dog to have your dog do something where they will not be able to do the bad behavior at the same time. Okay, I, I got a question for you. Sure. Uh, another podcast I was listening to, uh, they were talking about how uh, their dogs were peeing on their shoes all the time. <laughs> Is there any tips for them? Oh, yes. Um, well, one way to make that stop is put the shoes where the dog can't get to them to pee on them. Um, dogs, are, dogs are creatures of habit. And what, what has probably happened is the dog, especially if this is one particular pair of shoes, is the dog has probably at some point for some reason did their business there and then smell, you know, and then smelled it there. Cause as much as we try to clean it up, the, the scent does still tend to remain. Um, the dog, you know, smelled it there and thought that it was appropriate for it to do it there again. And after this happens a few times, then it becomes a habit. And when the dog realizes that it has to do its business, it says, Oh, well I need to go find my spot. And that spot is now the shoes. So I would recommend uh, moving the shoes to where the dog cannot get to them, um, number, number one. Um, number two, in cleaning, in cleaning the shoes, um, or, or actually any area where a dog has been doing their business, there are special enzymatic cleaners that actually use enzymes to break down these smells that we cannot smell, but the dogs can. And if you use, if you use normal cleaners, um, that may not work. Now, with a pair of shoes, it would depend on what the shoes were made of, whether or not you could use that. But, um, but if possible, then I would suggest uh, doing that as well. And basically what you need to do is you need to break the habit. Um, now, of course, the other, the other thing to do is if the dog is peeing anywhere inside or that's not wanted, then that dog hasn't, you know, been effectively completely house trained. Or is it, do you think it could be marking? 
Um, it, well, it, it could be. It would depend on, it would depend on the situation. Um, but, ba but basically, well, if you remove the shoes from the situation so the dog can't get to them, then the dog's not going to mark the shoes either, whether it's habit or, or hang. Um, but, and, and the same, and the same goes that if the dog has not, you know, if the dog has not learned that it is not supposed to mark inside, then it has not been, you know, completely house trained because they do, they do need to learn that. Um, so you would want to go back to, again, watching the dog and not giving it the opportunity to mess up. Now, I am glad, though, that you brought up the marking because simp simply going to the bathroom because the dog hasn't been taught otherwise versus marking are two different behaviors. You would still want to, um, you can still work on eliminating them in some, in some um, pretty similar ways, but with marking, that's also that's also um, a little bit tougher. They tend to do that a little when they're older. Um, the marking is big is big time or can be big time because of a scent thing. If there's been another dog around, that's when they're more likely to mark, um, especially if they smell like a foreign dog. Right, right, right. Not one that they lived with. Um, it could even be one that they live with, mm. especially if the one that they live with marked it, mm. and they're marking over that. Um, a lot of times dogs will, dogs that live together will actually do their business in the same place, kind of almost, I, it, it can be a few different things, but sometimes it can even be like marking that e they're each other's dog. You know, you know what I mean? Um, like, I don't know if, I don't know if you've noticed that, but out in our backyard, a lot, of, a lot of times whenever Kyler goes anywhere, Toby immediately goes and marks right over it. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Some, sometimes he gets there a little too soon, which is just lovely. But in any case, um, and then, of course, if, this, if the dog isn't already spayed or neutered, then that is a great way to decrease that behavior a lot. Um, first, first of all, if you spay or neuter your dog before they get to the point where they're going to start marking. So if you spay or neuter them, probably six months or younger. And you can, you can start doing that now as young as six weeks, which is relatively new. So that's pretty exciting. But if you do that before they um, pass into basically their, their adolescence and get grown-up dog bodies, then a lot of times you can prevent that. And even if, even if they're older than that, if you go ahead and spay or neuter them then, it tends to decrease that behavior. So between that and training, then that's very helpful. But, um, but, but again, with, with, things like, with things like shoes, the best thing is to put them somewhere else so the dog can't get to them. Um, now, if it's, if it's your carpet, that makes it a little bit tougher. So then I would you know, go ahead and use the other techniques as well. So... Um, do, we, do you have any other ones that you can think of right now? Well, it's interesting because that's one that you really can't redirect, I guess, <laughs> having a dog go to the bathroom, oh, right? Well, well, you can in that you can in that if you catch them in the act, that's great because then you can actually, much like with the table leg, um, when they're chewing on the table leg and you didn't want them to chew on the table leg, if you catch them in the act, you can actually, you can tell them no. A lot of people say not to tell them no because then they'll just think that they're not supposed to do it in front of you. Oh. What you can do is, if they're small enough, you can pick them up. Um, if they're bigger, you can just kind of lead them directly. You know, do something to distract them, clap or, or something um, neutral. Don't, don't tell them they're wonderful, but do something neutral to distract them. Take them outside, and once they get outside and start going, which may take a little while, but once they, you know, figure out they still need to do this and they go again, 
then you praise them big time and tell them how wonderful they are for going outside, mm -hmm. then that's a, another way of you're redirecting the place that they're doing it. Okay. All right. So, all right. So I think we've talked a lot about redirecting behavior tonight. We actually have a story for you all. And this was sent in by CD from Arizona. And CD is talking about how about um, getting into fostering and how that happened. So I'm going to turn this over to Walter so that he can share this really neat story with you. Thanks, Tara. This story is called Sometimes Fate Literally Lands on Your Doorstep. Tara and Walter. Last summer I wanted to do some animal volunteering, but I live in a pretty small apartment and I already had two cats, a dog, and a guinea pig. I knew there was no way I could foster any dogs. So I volunteered to a local rescue group, but I told them I could absolutely not foster. I continued to be convinced of this for a few months until one day I was sitting on the computer and I heard one of my cats hissing at the front door. She rarely hisses and I thought it was odd. So I walked over and gazing in through the screen were two gorgeous dogs standing on my doorstep looking for someone to play with. They were a medium-sized yellow lab with a little chow mixed in who eventually became named Goldie and a somewhat smaller dog who was some kind of Rottweiler shepherd mix. She was very unique looking and earned the name Little Bear. I will, of course, attach a picture. And for those of you listening to the enhanced feed, you guys are seeing the pictures right now. Though I hadn't fostered before, I was aware of most of the rules. So I brought them around to my little backyard, keeping them away from the rest of the animals. They were super friendly dogs who had obviously had owners who for some inconceivable reason let them go. They unfortunately had no tags or microchips, so over the next few days I canvassed the neighborhood, local papers, humane society, animal control, and campus with their pictures looking for their owners, but they never came forward. After a couple of failed weeks of looking, I switched my focus to finding them good homes, eventually hooking up with the local rescue group through which I could get pet finder advertisements and vet support for them. The trouble was that all the no-kill shelters were full and I couldn't bear to take them to the pound and then find out they were not adopted. So somewhat reluctantly I decided I would foster them until I found them homes. My apartment is pretty small. The dogs were 60 and 35 pounds and my backyard is about the size of most people's porches. So I wasn't sure how it would work out. But they got daily trips to the dog park and much attention, and I absolutely fell in love with them. I ended up taking care of one of the dogs for three months, and the other for four, until I finally found them homes that I felt good about. I never thought I could end up fostering dogs in this place, but since they left I've been itching to do it again. It's a great compromise for those of us who love animals, but would end up with 50 if left unchecked. You get to take care of, play with, and love an animal, and then give it a wonderful life and a good home. And then you get to do it again, with another lovable animal. It's definitely not something you want to do blindly or without being prepared. It is a big responsibility and takes up a lot of time. But if you have the time, the means, and want the almost selfish gratification that comes from saving animals' lives, I'd advise anyone to give it some thought. I would definitely say there is potential for almost anyone in a pet-friendly living situation to foster an animal. As you pointed out in an earlier show, there are many, even large dogs that are apartment friendly. Also, not to break from the dog theme, there are plenty of homeless cats in every city who could use a temporary home 
while looking for a family. If you find a stray, definitely consider contacting a local rescue group. They will be ecstatic to hear of someone who wants to help save an animal without them having to house it, and many have the capability to take care of the vet bills for you and put you on Pet Finder. As I said, be prepared. It is a lot of work and money as well, but the rewards are definitely worth it. Thanks for putting out a great show. I look forward to the next episode. CD from Tucson, Arizona. Thanks, CD, for sending that in. We've talked a lot about shelter and rescue in the shows, but one topic that we haven't really touched on before this too much is fostering. For anybody who's not familiar with this, uh, canine fostering basically means that a person provides uh, temporary care, shelter, and food for a dog in their own home. Um, that's at the most basic. Generally, they do this in conjunction with a shelter or a rescue, although um, technically it could be sa- said that you're fostering a dog even if you, say, find one and decide to rehome them yourself, yourself um, even if you're not with a shelter or rescue. But um, while the dog is there, what you want to do is you want to learn about the dog. You want to kind of assess their personality and temperament Are they calm? Are they energetic? Are they good around kids and other animals? Um, Just different different things about the dog to help help you try to figure out what would be a good home for the dog. And that's true, whether you are whether you just have a dog that you are holding onto for for a new home because you found it or somebody gave it to you, or if you're working with a shelter or a rescue. Now. If you're interested in fostering, one of the best ways to get involved is to actually work with a shelter or rescue. And they almost always need people to help um, to help hold on to dogs until they can rehome them. A lot of times shelters will do this if a dog is sick or injured and needs to recover or if it's too young to be adopted out yet, then you can have really, really little puppies. Um, or, or for moms who are getting ready to or have had a litter, or for dogs who maybe have some behavior problems that really need to be um, worked on quite a bit before they can adopt it out. A lot of rescues will exclusively foster dogs in homes unless they have a shelter, and then they will figure out who's going to foster versus um, which shelter, which animals will stay in the shelter based on their own requirements. But it's re- it's really re- it's a really great thing to do. It's extremely rewarding. It's kind of nice because while the dog is with you, it's you know it it kind of becomes like a, a foster member of the family. It'll get to interact with your animals if you have any. You'll be um, partially responsible, if not wholly responsible, for taking care of some training. Uh, as I as I said before, a lot of dogs go into shelters and rescues because they have unruly behavior. So you will want to teach them a lot of times basic commands like sit and down and maybe some tricks like shake, um, just, a, just some very basic things to help their behavior a little bit. And also you are going to be in charge of their general health. So if they, if they have a problem, um, if, they, if they develop a problem, if they get sick, or if they are already sick or injured and they are recovering, then you will need to take them to the vet. Different shelters or rescues have different policies for how the costs of things like vet care and food and toys and so on are taken care of. Um, you know, some some of them will give you all of that, and some of them, it's help. 
it's helpful if you actually provide some of it yourself. As a matter of fact, for all of them, I'm sure it's helpful if you provide some of it yourself, but it just depends on how they work, how, mu how much of it will come from you. So this is, like I said, a terrific, a terrific, rewarding thing to do. It does take a special type of person because while the dog is there living with you, you will probably get attached. And there are, there, there are, uh, you know, more than a few times, I'm sure, that people want to keep the dog with them, even when it's time for the dog to go to its new home. But, um, but also one of the greatest things to see is when it does go to its new home and you know that it will be a great family for it and that has many happy days ahead. And that also frees you up to help another dog. So every, everybody wins, even if there are a couple of tears the first day that it goes home. So if you have any uh, questions, comments, or other stories about fostering, we would love to hear them. Oh yeah, we're, we're so pleased with all the stories that we're getting and the pictures too. Don't forget to send in some pictures, guys. We, we love all the pictures we're getting. Yes, abs absolutely. And CD, thank you so much for sharing that story. I really like this one because it goes to show that even if you don't necessarily think that you're in a position to help out, that, you know, sometimes those positions just come to you. I mean, it, it, seems, it seems to me like these dogs specifically picked CD to, to stay there until they got their new home. So that's something that's pretty special. And for everybody out there, if, if there's anything that you're interested in doing, such as fostering, then by all means, go for it. You, you really can't lose. It's a great thing to do. But um, as Walter was saying, if you have any, any stories, pictures, questions, or comments, please send them in to us. You can either email them or for um, sto stories, questions, and comments, you can call us on our voicemail or on Skype to leave those for us. And any audio, any audio comments um, or stories that we get, we can go ahead and play on the air, which is kind of cool. But that wraps it up for our show tonight. Thanks once again for listening. And before we go, if you haven't already, please remember to spay or neuter your dog because it's the best thing you can do for your furry friend, and it'll help prevent marking. If you have a question for Tara or a comment about CanineCast, please leave us a voice message by calling 206-338-DOGS. That's 206-338-3647. Or post a comment on our website at CanineCast.com. That's the letter K, the number 9, cast.com. <laughs>